Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we're continuing our series on CFF basics, and we've brought on Barnabas Lee, our NFL draft analyst from C2C, to help us learn how to use a player's film to make judgment calls on future CFF players. In addition to that, we have a few bits of spring news to bring you all, so all this and more is coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside, dropped down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. Hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. Recorded a little bit early this week. I'm traveling this weekend, so uh, if something comes out on Sunday or Monday morning, sorry about that, y'all. We'll get to it next week. But we have an awesome show ahead for you guys. We got a very different kind of show today. Again, we'll cover some of the spring news and everything this week. It's a little light this week on that. But we have a special guest joining us. But before we get to the special guest, I always have to introduce my wonderful partner in crime for the show, Mr. Nate Marquise. Nate, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, man. I'm excited to get into some of the spring stuff again and uh, hear from Barnabas and how he breaks down some film. It's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a really good show. Nate, you just spoiled who our guest is. Come on, my, man. That's my job. My bad. My bad. It was my one chance to try to break some news here. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Well, as Nate just so wonderfully said, our guest for today is Mr. Barnabas Lee. He is our NFL draft analyst over here at Campus to Canton. Literally one of the smartest people we have on our team, and that is quite, quite the thing to say because we have a lot of really smart people on our team over here at Campus to Canton. One of the best guys I know when it comes to breaking down film, and so that is what he is going to help us out with today. A lot of great stuff coming your way, but Barnabas, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. I'm ex- we're recording on Saturday, and I'm super excited to see my Maryland Terps take on Alabama in March Madness later tonight. And uh, you know, uh, I I thank you for the compliments, but I I don't think I'm all that smart. But I I just like to watch film, and that's that's you know what I do. And I will say I don't claim to be an expert at everything. And so if I say something wrong, happy to learn. Um, I ha- always have a list of things I'm trying to learn about football. So, uh, working on a few things anyway. So, but yeah, thanks for having me. So listeners, just letting you know, he's going to say all that, and then we're going to get to this film breakdown and then you're going to understand why I think he's one of the smartest people that we have on our team. Um, speaking of March Madness, how are y'all's brackets doing? I know it's like, it's, it's a college football show, but how, how's y'all's brackets doing? Cause mine are terrible this year. Do you, I, I was just curious before we came on the show, do you follow March Madness much as a Georgia fan? Like, do you, do you so, follow Georgia basketball? I follow Georgia basketball extremely casually again with, with the show and everything. I, I, and again, not especially this year, my, my master's uh, stuff has been taking up most of my time. So I just haven't been really able to follow it at all, but um, you know, it, we were doing well for a little bit and then just things kind of fell apart towards the end of the year, but you know. I think I, have, I think we have a pretty good hire right now in uh, Mike White. I have a lot. I have a handful of OU buddies that literally don't watch a second of Oklahoma basketball. It's almost like it is a total foreign thing for them. And 
being here in Kansas City, I come across a lot of Kansas Jayhawks fans that of are course. the exact opposite. They don't even watch college football, but when it comes to basketball season, I mean, they're just locked in. So, yeah, I was curious as a Georgia guy if you were in that boat. No, I pretty much my my relationship extends to, like, if I got nothing to do on a spring night, I'll, I'll check ESPN and be like, hey, is there a Georgia basketball game tonight? Because I'll throw that on the TV if I have time and everything, but... Yeah. Outside of that, I don't really go out of my way to do it. Barnabas, again, your team's actually in the tournament this year, so you got a lot of reason to be rooting. Yeah, so I will say I did pick Kansas to win. I was the only one to do so in my uh, bracket pool. So if they win, I win. So that's fun. Very nice. Um, but uh, I also, I, I filled out my bracket very quickly. I paid very little attention to college basketball this season, to be honest. Yep. And so I had Arizona in the final, so that one hurts a lot. Oh, I had I uh, Virginia. Uh, yeah, that one works too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of Maryland this year. We were projected preseason to be 10th in the Big Ten and not even make the tournament, maybe not even the NIT. And so just to be here is awesome and uh, really happy with what Kevin Willard's done. So, you know, Maryland's really big on the non-revenue sports and like to be have decent success in both college football and college basketball now. Um, which are the revenue sports, right? Is is kind of fun because you know we are the Alabama football of the college lacrosse world. Uh, even on rebuild <laughs> years, we make it to the Final Four, uh, and uh, you know field hockey, you know uh, soccer at times too. So you know we are the non-revenue sports school, but uh, you know it, it's good to get a win every once in a while. Outside of uh, ob- the obvious football team at Georgia, I found out that our spike ball team is like to be feared nationally (laughs) (laughs) so for those of you play spike ball come to georgia um anyway again one last little bit of small talk because it is march madness it's fun to talk about this stuff so i do like a specific type of bracket every single year so like i do like my actual bracket that i actually enter into competitions but i also do a football bracket every year where i pretend like okay these are the football teams doing it how would they do I do a heart bracket where this year I had Kennesaw State winning the whole thing because, of course. And then um, I do a logo where I'm just like, all right, which logo do I like better? Uh, which one of those four do you guys think is doing the best right now? Um, probably the logo bracket. Actually, it is not. That's actually doing the no. worst. <laughs> oh, okay. No uh, it's, it's a football one, surprisingly. Yeah. Oh. The one I entered into actual competitions, I had Virginia go into the Final Four, and it's pretty much tanked everything from there. Yeah, that's rough. So, all righty. I guess we can finally get into this. Let's go talk about some spring news here first with everything. Again, as always, when we start talking about spring news, I have the list of teams that are kicking off their spring news this week. If you want to see the full list, go watch us over here on the YouTube channel. I won't be listening it all off for the podcast because... Quite frankly, you guys would hear me drone on and on naming teams, and that is boring for everybody. Nate, we'll start with you. Of the teams on this list that are getting started this week, who are some teams that you are especially interested in? Well, I'm especially interested in Oklahoma. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Because that's my team. But um, now, just kind of looking at this list, I... I want to, and and I hope we get some good information out of Texas State. I don't know how well uh, the reporters are going to be able to give us info there, but just the new staff, um, Malik Hornsby showing up, you know, those types of things. We don't really know who's who's the guys to target at running back and wide receiver. So any good information uh, we could get out of them, I think would be big. Um, I was looking at it earlier. There was one that's got a uh, a quarterback battle that I was interested in, and I, I have lost it. I can't remember which one it was, but um, Nebraska. 
No, I'm really, I don't really care about Nebraska. Um, Matt Rule. I mean, it's fine. It's just, it's, it's not all that interesting to me. Um, I think anything Central Michigan. Out, yeah, any any Louisville sticks out to me quite a bit. Um, anything we can get from the wide receiver room there at Louisville, I think will be big. Uh, as well as, I mean, really any of the positions there. Um, anything we can get from running back and quarterback, I think would be pretty Im- important information. Old Miss quarterback, that was one I was looking at. Old Miss yep. and and kind of what's going on with that quarterback competition because Lane usually allows quite a bit of access and um usually the beat writers do a good job of of keeping up to what's going on there so that one uh definitely piques my interest the other thing about louisville that's interesting is they're going to have six practices open to the public so we should be getting some really good information out of them in the next couple of weeks barnabas throwing it over to you i know again you you do a lot nfl draft stuff and everything but like are there any schools here that are jumping out to you that have some players that you're looking at maybe for 2024 reasons or even beyond that what do you think Sure. I mean, uh, so uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, but the tight end that is now the heir to Sam Laporta uh, at Iowa. Oh, Luke Lachey, right? Because Lachey, yeah, Lachey. I, I didn't want to name Nef- the uh, the singer. Um, the, well, he's the nephew of of yeah Nick Lachey. Oh, from, okay. From from ninety eight degrees. Yeah, I feel yeah. less bad now because um, I've said that <laughs> multiple times and people have said the singer and I'm like, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, he is, you know, the next Iowa tight end. And as we know, they just generate, uh, you know, draftable tight ends every year. And so is he next in line or is he going to kind of, you know, discontinue the trend a little bit? Um, and then, you know, Notre Dame offensive line is supposed to be a little bit you know, shakier than recent years, you know, where in the past we've had, you know, Zach Martin all the way up to Nick Martin to uh, Quentin Nelson. So they have like a pedigree of having all these left tackles switch into uh, guard. Um, But they, their offensive line is a little bit worse this year. And the only one they had coming out this year was Jared Patterson. So it should be a little bit of continuity there. So we'll see about that. Uh, But, and then obviously Colorado is the big one, right? Where we have no idea what, what's happening over there and mm-hmm. um and so it's kind of it's basically like a movie over there right they're like i don't know some mixture of some sort of you know underdog football team <laughs> movie but uh, well they're getting I, i'm really excited to watch them they're getting their spring game on espn and the national champ the, the two-time defending national champions get their spring game on espn too so i don't know how all that works uh, I'm not bitter about that whatsoever. Are they uh, also projected to go nine and nine and three, or what was it, six and six? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dude. Anyway, uh, one one I'm surprised that you didn't mention Nate Wisconsin Phil Longo's system over there. I'm really yeah. interested to see like what kind of changes they make they enact during the spring. Who stands out, especially at receiver? I think they have a lot of good options over there with some of the transfers they brought in, some of the guys they had left over from the previous regime. I definitely want to see who kind of stands out there. I bet Tanner Mordecai wins that battle. There's no no shot that he's not the starting quarterback. But if they can get things going with that offense in year one, that could definitely, definitely be a ton of fun. And then year two at Texas State, or not Texas State, uh, Texas Tech and Colorado State. Interested in both of those. I doubt I'll get a ton out of Colorado State. But then again, I said that about UAB, and we got pretty good information there. So... We'll definitely see. Let's talk about some of the news we did get in from this past week, and we can go over and talk about Minnesota first. Main thing here is we kind of got a surprise transfer earlier this week when assumed starting running back Treshawn Potts 
suddenly enter the portal along with Michael Brown Steven, two weapons that have been there for a couple of years. He is now out, and that kind of leaves the question of who will be that number one running back over there for Minnesota. They got a couple of good options over there. They brought in Sean Tyler from Western Michigan this past year. They have Zach Evans, a three-star uh, freshman running back from last year. They're bringing in another four-star running back, Darius Taylor, this year. And then we can't forget Mr. Reliable. The guy has been there for 10,000 years, Bryce Williams. They got a couple of guys there. And to me, in my opinion... It's starting to lean more towards they're probably going to go with the committee approach this year. They don't have anybody in that room that they know for a fact they can rely on for 250-plus touches. And this will be that kind of year where somebody may emerge from the room, but at least to start the year, they're going to be splitting this field up pretty well. Nate, we'll go to you first. Your thoughts on Minnesota and what's going on with that running back room? Yeah, uh, I was actually reading up on this from one of the one of the beat writers does a really good job there with the Gophers of projecting their depth chart every every spring. And he recently put out an article talking about this since Trey Potts just left. Um, he seems to think it's pretty clear Sean Tyler will be the the clear RB one there. Says he expects him to get between fifteen and eighteen carries a game. Um, he said uh, Bryce Williams, he thinks, will be the RB2, and then uh, Zach Evans after that as as far as the RB3, and potentially the freshman uh, mixed into the, to the depth chart there as well. But he's pretty confident that Sean Tyler is going to be the guy. Uh, but he did mention it a few times in, in the article that he thinks this offense is simply going to pass more than they've done in the past um, just because of all the different wide receivers that they brought in from the portal, Elijah Spencer, Corey Crooms, guys like that. Um, but yeah, it, it uh, he, he seems to think Sean Tyler um, will at least get that kind of 15 to 18 carry range. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm so a little skeptical unless I hear some reports that Sean Tyler puts on some weight. I doubt I'm going to see a guy who's five, 885 pounds take on a workload like we've even seen close with Potts and Ibrahim the last couple of years in the Big Ten. A lot of people point out to me like, oh, he got 200 carries last year. I'm like, yeah, that was in the MAC. It's a massive difference in terms of physicality going from the MAC to the Big Ten. Barnabas, uh, do you have any thoughts on this running back room in Minnesota? Sure. I mean, Sean Tyler at last year at Western Michigan did have a little bit of day three juice buzz going around. Um, as kind of like a complimentary guy. So, you know, I'm not surprised hearing that he came in and was automatically going to, you know, lead the room almost. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 they also have the uh, Greek quarterback. I, I forget his name, but yeah, um, that's one I'm not so, going to try to pronounce. Yeah. yeah. If they, if they're going to throw it around, you know, might as well. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not too worried about size because I think, the NFL as a whole is going to running back by committee approaches. Um, I think that's something we're seeing overall around the league. And so um, I think that uh, teams will be looking for guys that are the speedier guys at under 200. And so I don't think it's that big of a problem for someone to get day three capital anymore, um, even if they're under 200. All righty. Let's move on. Let's go over to Arkansas. Not too much report here, although Nate, uh, in terms of the backup position for running back here, obviously Raheem Sanders leads this backfield. That's not going to surprise anybody. But it does seem like it's between A.J. Green and Rashad Dubinian as in terms of who's going to be that next guy up after Rasheen Ali leaves after this year. It's, I, I assume Barnabas will tell us in a second that uh, or not, did I say Rasheen Ali? I meant Raheem Sanders. Um, Raheem Sanders, once he leaves after this year, you're going to want the next guy up there. 
But Nate, you were telling me that one of these guys apparently had a very standout day in a scrimmage recently. Tell us about it. Yeah, I think I'm definitely guilty of just looking at Rashad Dabinion and, you know, how he performed. I think it was in the bowl game at the end of the season last year where he had kind of a breakout performance and just assuming that that RB2 job is his. But yeah, they they did a small scrimmage. I think they did like, um, I want to say 36 plays, full pads, full tackle uh, scrimmage. And A.J. Green apparently was the clear standout from that scrimmage. Um, Maybe it's just because he got more run. I don't know. But um, I have been seeing a number of reports that A.J. Green's just having a really, really strong spring camp. So, you know, I mean, DeBinion's a good player. uh, But if Green can push for that second spot, then, you know, I mean – I think Raheem Sanders is going to be a clear bell cow, but who's to say that one of those two guys, Green or Dominion, can't have some sort of a role where they're getting, you know, seven, eight, nine carries a game? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're talking about a team that runs the ball like religiously. So it's very possible that if they start to even take, God forbid, they take away some carries from Raheem Sanders, that maybe there's two. Uh, CFF relevant backs here. So definitely something to keep an eye out here. Barnabas, the, do you have any? Oh, go ahead, they, Nate. They have, I was just going to say they have the new OC coming in from Maryland, Dan yep. Enos, who I'm sure Barnabas is fairly familiar with. Yeah, tell us about it, Barnabas. What what can we expect uh, Dan Enos to bring here? Uh, pounding the ball in situations where it's obviously going to be a run and <laughs> uncre- and uncreative uh, passing concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people fans at Maryland at least wanted Enos out a long time ago. So um, I can't say I have too many positive things to say other than when he passes, he likes those deep shots. And I don't mm-hmm. know if uh, Arkansas is built for the, that kind of production. So um, if Matt Landers came but, back another year, that might've been interesting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know too much about Arkansas, to be honest with you. I'm oh, good. much more familiar with the big 10, but uh, you know, uh, Raheem Sanders is a top three running back. Uh, where in the top three is debated even amongst us C2C folks. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. All righty. Let's go on over to Oregon. Again, not a ton to update on here. Main thing that kind of stuck out to a lot of people was quite quite a few people, because I think there was a comment about this in literally every single article that involved the Oregon spring practices. And that is that freshman quarterback Austin Novosad is impressing very early in these practices specifically with the amount of zip that he is able to put on balls definitely standing out compared to some of the other backup options they have there Oregon I don't think he is we can expect him to be the number two option at Oregon or anything like that but it's definitely something to look out for to see if he can make a move throughout the spring and into the fall because again Bo Nix is gone after this year this is Bo Nix's last year of eligibility if I remember correctly so I'm definitely something to keep an eye out here. Nate, do you have any thoughts on Oregon and their spring practices? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, uh, just a lot of good reports about how strong Austin Novosad's arm is. And and we've been hearing it for a while because I know Matt Bruning was at the Elite 11 camp there in Texas. Uh, and he walked away from that saying Austin Novosad was the best one at this regional here in the Elite 11. And that included Jackson Arnold, who was a five-star that, that – uh, uh, signed and is is now at Oklahoma. So um, you say you can't, you don't think he's going to be the two. I say, why not? I mean, this 
the staff doesn't really like Ty Thompson that much. Well, I think yeah, I agree. I I think that uh, I think he's going to have every chance to compete for that QB two spot, and I don't think it's out of the question that he does win. I mean, Let- yeah, Ty, Ty Thompson's got an extra year in this in this you know a couple extra years in the program, but it's a brand new offensive coordinator now. Yep. I mean, who's to say? Let me, let me rephrase. I guess I, I I was misconstrued when I said that. I don't think we can assume that he'll be the quarterback oh, too yeah. by no. by the start. I don't. I didn't. I didn't want to remove the possibility that it could happen because I think it, I definitely think it could happen again. Like you said, yeah, the staff clearly is not in love with Ty Thompson. It sounds like other programs aren't really in love with Ty Thompson either. Otherwise, I feel like he would have entered the portal already. So. We'll see. Barnabas, do you have any thoughts on Oregon at all, or can we just go ahead and move on? I mean, you can move on. Are we sure that Bo Nix is out of eligibility? That's my only thing. Are we sure? <laughs> yeah. like, they they always can't find, squeeze another one out? They always, <laughs> they always find a way. I guess I guess actually, technically, he could if he played less than five games, he could redshirt. We could see him again if something were to happen injury-wise. <laughs> That's very, very true. He's never used his redshirt. All righty. This one is probably the most interesting, probably most in-depth I imagine we can go today because there is, I, I, I need to start having an alarm for like when a, when a random spring game happens this early, but we got a spring game this week uh, in the SEC Mizzou. They actually just wrapped this up a few minutes before we started recording. Nate, you have found some information on what all happened over there and does it line up with some of the talks about a certain wide receiver standing out, not named Luther Burden? <laughs> Yeah, that that wide receiver is uh, is Mookie Cooper, um, which is a name we've we've heard many times. Uh, the transfer from Ohio State, uh, he wasn't really mentioned much in the spring uh, spring game report, um, but yeah, so they had to move their spring game inside. It's like twenty degrees here in in Kansas City in Columbia, so they they moved the spring game inside. But they they have recently released a, a report and. Um, giving us some pretty good nuggets here. So the only the only two scholarship quarterbacks that were playing in this one uh, was Sam Horn, the uh, second year QB there, and uh, the transfer Jake Garcia from Miami. Brady Cook was out because he had shoulder surgery in the offseason. Turns out Sam Horn did get majority of the reps with the ones, not Jake Garcia. Jake Garcia ran primarily with the two. Uh, with the twos, they said uh, the word is is that Sam Horn was inconsistent. Um, did hit Luther Burden on a big time deep throw uh, on the second uh, second series of the uh, of the spring game uh, for I think he got tackled like the one, but it was close to a touchdown. But uh, they said Sam Horn's legs uh, were actually more of a factor than what a lot of people realize that he's actually quite a bit more athletic. Um, as far as for Jake Garcia, they said he was also fairly inconsistent. Looks like he's still trying to figure out the system, but had easily, uh, the better arm talent out of the two quarterbacks and that his, his, uh, his zip, his arm strength was better than Sam Horn's just had some inaccurate throws at times. As far as like the, the wide receivers that stood out, a name that they, that I've continued to hear over the spring and that maybe we need to file away is, uh, a wide receiver named Peanut Houston, who was a you made uh, that up, right? No, this is uh, <laughs> it sounds like um, something uh, you know that that I just pulled out of my butt. But no, that's a real that's a real person, Peanut Houston. <laughs> he uh, he 
apparently had a, a really strong spring game and uh, he was a true freshman last year that was injured throughout the season. So really didn't get any time to play, but I've heard his name get brought up a lot. So him and, uh, and Luther burden uh, were the two that stood out as far as the wide receivers. No so, shock. Yeah. There. Just, uh, just something to kind of file away uh, deep dynasties, maybe take a look at, at a guy like peanut Houston, but that was basically it as far as what we got um, just kind of some inconsistencies in the past game, but potential. All right, Barnabas, any quick thoughts? Uh, just for my own selfish reasons, I have questions. Because how is Sam Horn playing in the spring game if he's a baseball player too? I'm yeah. So it sounds it sounds like he is taking like a break from baseball right now in order to focus on like this two weeks of football. Most of their practices were pretty condensed. Like some of them are spreading it out over like a month, mm-hmm. and Missouri's was kind of like all within like a two to three week window. So yeah, I think um, every school gets 15 practices for the spring. If that's yeah. 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 And they did all of theirs like in three weeks, whereas, you know, like some schools have already started, but their spring games, not until like the end of April. Yeah. I see. I have a few shares of Sam Horn. So I was curious for my own personal reasons. <laughs> it's there, it's so. good to hear that he's running with the ones that kind of surprised oh, yeah. me. I, I thought that with him being, cause he, he had an injured, uh, he had an injured arm from one of his relief pitching appearances. And so they were kind of really taking it easy with him throughout the spring. So I thought maybe he'd be running with the twos, but looks like he's, he's getting time with the ones. Yeah. Again, and Manning I, did. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Barnabas. And okay. Manning didn't get on campus early, right? He's, he's a fall guy um what's um is that the Joshua, wide receiver yeah the yeah. wide receiver freshman. now yeah. I, they, there wasn't any there wasn't any mention of him in the report i'm not sure if he's if he's uh an early enrollee or not i can i can see what nick has to say on see if he went again she he usually has guys listed if they're early enrollees yeah. um besides the point we can move on to the next one here again a little spring camp update coming over here from arizona state again nothing too much to talk about here but nate there is a kind of under the radar transfer wide receiver that was causing some buzz over there so why don't you tell us about that while i continue to look to see if uh manny was an early and early yeah i'm gonna see if i can uh not botch his name here but i believe it's it's pronounced xavier guillory um yep, sounds who right. is who is a uh, he's a transfer from idaho state uh, he's, he's somebody that I know that a number of, of kind of blue blood programs were looking at. I know OU made a, uh, made an offer for him when he was in the portal. Um, I believe a couple of other like sec programs also, um, made offers for him, but he decided to go to Arizona state and he's, he's a big guy. I want to say he's like six, three, six, four, a little bit over 200 pounds. Um, but apparently after the first and second spring practices, it became abundantly clear that this guy is going to start and be a factor um, for Arizona State. I would not be surprised at all if he's starting opposite Elijah Badger uh, because he absolutely just blew everybody away from the first few practices. And I watched um, I watched some clips because Arizona State beat writers do a really good job of getting access there. And they'll show a lot of the footage. And, man, he is just smoking guys off the line creating really good separation um, throughout his routes. So um, I think there's a chance that he he is a factor this year and, and somebody we need to keep an eye on for fantasy purposes. My only question kind of moving forward with that, and we could talk about this as well with the next uh, spring camp we'll talk about is how much does it matter? Because we've seen with Kenny Dillingham, 
he has some guys that kind of pop up with different games that are nice but in terms of like season-long production he, he tends to spread it out just enough among wide receivers to where you don't really get a top tier guy so as much as, as, as exciting as it is to get a brand new name here for us to talk about is it really going to matter that much Nate do you think um probably less so this year as as they're trying to settle in the new system or you know the quarterback situation there isn't isn't ideal right now at least we don't it doesn't look like Rashada is going to play much at all this year um so but you know what I mean they're they're going to be trailing in a lot of their games and it's the Pac-12 you know it's Pac-12 after dark there's going to be some shootout potential in some of these games I get he doesn't have a great track record with wide receivers. I'm pretty skeptical of that, but um, there's there's garbage time potential here for fantasy purposes. All righty, Barnabas, any thoughts on Arizona State in general? Oh, you're shaking his head. All right, I can just move. <laughs> I can just move right along. Let's talk about Michigan State real quick again. Just a little nugget here that we were able to glean. Coach Mel Tucker has said that this quarterback job is 100% open. You can say that, again, that's probably coach speak. That's probably him just saying that. But at the same time, you're talking about Peyton Thorne, who's been a multi-year starter there for the Spartans. You would think that like it's past the point of coach speak. If he's going to say this out loud, that I think there might be something a little bit to this. They got a couple of options over there. Again, like I said, they got Thorne, who's been starting there. Um, they got the freshman coming in from last year. They have, oh my goodness, I forget his name. He's the backup. Is that Hauser? Hauser's a freshman. There is another, um, oh my goodness, I got to remember his name now. No, Hauser's the freshman from last year. And yes. then Kim, Kim is the- Kim, that's his name, yes. QB, QB3, yeah. And then Sam Levitt's coming in, uh, incoming freshman this year. So again- Westfield High School. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. Oh, I was just saying, uh, Westfield High School for Noah Kim. He's Korean and he's from Fairfax County. So uh, represent. I used to live in Fairfax County. So. Oh, nice. Well, <laughs> is that in Maryland? It's in Virginia. I would say Virginia. Virginia. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, what should we call? Anyway, um, again, to me, it, it, it's just an interesting comment. I don't think it's going to matter that much for fantasy because I don't think any of us are scrambling to get the Mel Tucker QB one for fantasy reasons. But again, we saw two years ago when they had that great season with. Um, Kenneth Walker and everything that you know Peyton Thorne was put into good use with Jalen Nayor and Jaden Reed so maybe something to keep an eye out on for the most part especially again if if uh Levitt were to come in and just take that QB1 job for any particular reason that could be crazy again Nate I, I see you shaking your head I agree that's, very unlikely but that's still. not happening uh Levitt's not even in for the spring oh, so is he not? Good, <clears throat> good luck the, this me. open this open QB competition currently does not even include him so um you know, Barnabas could probably speak. He's probably watched more tape of Hauser than I have. I, I've I've never really seen much. You know, he didn't play much at all last year. Um, but I know a lot of a lot of people here at C2C were pretty impressed with what they saw from him in the Elite Eleven camps and some of the tape as far as him being an incoming freshman last year. So uh, he looks like the guy that's probably most likely to compete with Peyton Thorne to get the starting nod. I do know a lot of Michigan State fans kind of want to turn the page to him and just kind of see what he's capable of. It's I think Thorne's a, a fine player, but I, I think it's like, okay, he's not, he's not going to get us to the next level. So why do we keep throwing him out there is kind of how I think a lot of Spartan fans feel at this point. Have you watched much tape on, um, on Caden Hauser? Uh, I haven't watched a whole lot of tape, but I will say this. I, I think you're right there where, uh, Michigan State has had this stretch of quarterbacks where it's just there's nothing there and uh, it's nothing special. And I think 
I think Peyton Thorne is also one of them. So I think if they switch over to Hauser, I think it's something different where at least you have a strong arm, at least you have, you know, something to put out there. um, And there's a chance instead of this turnaround and hand the ball off type of quarterback um, that they've had for, I think like three straight starters now are just like, have been the same guy essentially. And so um, I think fans are just kind of tired of it, especially when you don't have Kenneth Walker just, getting you yards everywhere for, you know, 75% of the offense or something. Yeah. How much does Mel Tucker owe Kenneth Walker for that hefty raise that he got and that ridiculous contract extension? I mean, if it weren't for Kenneth Walker, I can't imagine where Mel Tucker would be at right now. I mean, you talk about like the most overpaid coach in college football. He's such an average coach. And that dude is making like $10 million a year. It's insane. Oh, I guarantee you that he probably owes at least half of that to Kenneth Walker. <laughs> but but, but he's doing but, fine though. But I would say Tucker would probably turn that around and be like, "Yeah, but I was the guy who brought him in." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he got he he got the he got uh, Walker to the NFL. But I should get paid don't, more don't because even me, I hired you. Is don't even how get me started on CEOs say it. Don't even get me started on how underutilized Kenneth Walker was at Wake Forest. It still oh, drives yeah. me crazy. Alrighty, that's our spring news right there. Uh, we're gonna move on to the second segment of this show, where Barnabas, this is your time to shine and everything, my friend. We've been going through doing some CFF basic stuff and like helping out some new players, but I think this is a topic that can help both new and veteran players alike. I know for myself specifically, I am an analytics guy. I like looking at the numbers. I like trying to find new metrics. I find all that stuff fascinating. I cannot. Just personally, watch film for the life of me. It is, I, I will admit, it is it is an area that I am still learning in. And so that's why I brought on a guy like Barnabas to kind of walk us through this stuff. Really cool segment we have here today. Basically, the idea of this is how can you watch college football film from the previous year to try to predict guys that are going to break out the next season we're specifically going to focus in on Emeka Egbuka today for Ohio State because a lot of us myself included like the talent that Emeka Egbuka had but because he was behind JSN there and with JSN going down Emeka Egbuka slotted right in became an immediately immediate CFF just monster if I remember correctly he was the wide receiver seven in CFF last year so that is just absolutely crazy on his part so we're going to run through some plays here Barnabas I'll kind of let you take the reins here in a second Nate and I will be here just ask questions make comments um and then you just also let me know when you need certain clips to be brought up Barnabas but yeah we're going to learn today how we could have predicted Emeka Igbuka's breakout last year so Barnabas take it over man yeah, thanks for having me on for this. Uh, I always love talking about film. And uh, I will say one key trait of someone who is good at watching film is you need to really like music because otherwise you're just sitting there in silence watching the you know <laughs> clips go by and you will lose your mind. So you need to have like a really banging playlist or else it's really tough, I will admit. Um, so yeah, we're talking about Emeka Buka, and it's interesting because, so a couple of things. It's really hard to evaluate freshmen because all you have is their high school huddle tapes, and it's obviously just highlights, and you're seeing just these super long production plays that frankly are less interesting than the ones where they didn't get the yards. Um, and so, uh, you know, this is more for like freshmen and younger players who are getting these garbage time stats that you can maybe try to project 
once they are expected to get a starting role the next year, right? And so I think uh, Emeka is an interesting case study because he's he was always getting the same garbage time as Marvin Harrison Jr., but they're totally opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Where Mecca is very much a uh, technician. He's a he's not as big. He's not quite as he might not be as fast. I'm not actually sure what his timed speeds are. Um, and so we're looking at Marvin Harrison Jr., who is physical gifts and talents just oozing out of every pore, versus Mecca, who is talented, but also he does the little things correctly, which tells me that he also is very coachable and just like a very like he has attention to detail that um, maybe some of these more physically gifted people don't necessarily have to do to be able to still produce. Um, and so I kind of uh, went through kind of three main criteria here, which is like, uh, number one is play execution, whether a player can execute the play that is called. Um, and part of that is like included is uh, effort, right? Just like there's some guys that go out there and they know it's garbage time. So they're just kind of going through the motions and unless the play is called for them. And so, um, so that's something I'll point out here too. Uh, number two is like evidence of coaching where there are like certain nuances to, especially wide receivers, where there's certain nuances that you may not see um, with certain receivers. And so receivers that do have it actually have specific uh, advantages in that sense. Um, and then number three is the production, right? I think that's third and most important for me. Like I said, oftentimes I find more value in incomplete passes sometimes than I do in 75 yard touchdowns. Um, and so this is, those are three things. So uh, I picked a few plays here from Indiana versus Ohio state in 2021, which is uh, both Marvin Harrison jr. And Emeka Buka got, I think some 30 plus snaps in there um, because it, it was, it was pretty much over halfway through the third quarter. Um, and so they also uh, saw passes from three different quarterbacks. And so uh, they saw CJ Stroud, they saw uh, Kyle McCord, and they also saw Jack Miller um, in this game. And so that that's interesting um, as well. So each play, we're going to freeze it real quick. And for those of you on uh, a visual platform, uh, I'll explain what we're looking at. Um, and you can see what, where you, you can, I'll tell you where to keep your eyes. Um, and then I'll talk about basically uh, like formational stuff, especially on the defense. And so that informs us what the offense should do and what they're reading. And then uh, we'll play it through just to see what happened on the play. And then we'll try to crawl through and see uh, what things that uh, Aguga does really well on these plays. Um, and so I, I, I think I cast a fairly wide net. I think there are a lot of plays in here, um, but I think it's, it's interesting to see all these nuanced things um, you could also see on his 2022 tape where he was, you know, I think you said wide receiver seven, right? Yes. Um, and so uh, that production comes from somewhere. And part of it is this nuance where it's it's single steps that make all the difference. And so, uh, Jared, if you want to pull up play 44. Um, so this is like right after. Real quick, um, Barnabas, before we yeah. dive into all of this, uh, for everybody who is listening uh on podcasts we're going to try our best to describe everything that is going on here for if you just want if you're like trying to listen to this in the car and everything but i will say this is one of those times where you really should go over to the chasing the natty youtube channel and check out the video format i do think that is going to be the best way to get what we're talking about for this episode in particular um and also, you, while you're looking for new things to subscribe to, I forgot to do my spiel, so guess what? It's going to come here 
40 minutes into our podcast today, guys. So while you're looking for things to subscribe to, make sure you also go over to campusofcanton.com. We got all of our tools, all of our stuff over there. You listen on podcasts, make sure you follow us for all of our future awesome stuff, as well as subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. I think that's pretty short. Barnabas, let's get into this. You got the first play up here. I got to pause. Like you said, we're going to run through every one of them at full speed, and then we'll go through it again, slow it down. You're going to ask me to stop at certain points. I will do my best uh, because I'm in control and you are not. So you just tell me where to stop, and I'll, I'll try there. Um, yeah, we got the first play up here. What are we looking at? Yeah, so this is, I think, uh, most of the way through the third quarter. This is like right after the backups are starting to come in. JSN is still in the uh, field. Um, we have Marvin Harrison at the top of the screen um, as the number one receiver on the left side. And Mecca is the number one receiver on the right side with the tight end who's motioning over, or not motioning, but on the snap, he's going across the formation behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, we have the D Indiana defense is in a two high look with, uh, but it says disguise cover three, I think, um, where the corners are playing far off enough that it's not, but it, uh, they have one of the safeties uh, diving down for a shorter zone here. Um and so we have sideline routes from both Marvin Harrison Jr. at the top of the screen and Mecca all the way at the bottom. Uh, the play actually goes to Mecca here. Um, but the interesting thing to see is, uh, so uh, it, it's a, there was CJ Stroud saw pressure fairly early in the play. Um, and so it was a little bit extended route because of that. So um, watching Mecca, he, he does a good job of um, running with his quarterback here. And so um as you can see, uh, CJ Stroud has to roll out to the right and Mecca being on the bottom of the screen on the right side of the formation, um, you know, uh, extends the play. Uh, so Jared, if you can go to pause it right at the top of the stem. Um, so he has a sideline route essentially where he runs about 10 yards and then stops and runs straight towards the sideline opening towards the inside. And so the interesting thing, right, pause right there is that he's he had this good sense of looking at the defensive back. A lot of playing receiver is uh, knowing how to play the man across from you. Right. And so they were playing in a little bit of cover three. So he's playing a little bit of off. He had this, he cuts off this route at the perfect time where the, where he can, he has enough distance between the defensive back and himself that the defensive back is going to keep drift, drifting downfield. And so he, he's wide open at this point, right there. There's a defender in the flat there or flat ish area. Um, but that's not really that much of an issue on a good throw. And CJ Stroud is capable of making that throw fairly easy, but he has pressure off the left side of the offensive line. So he's rolling to his right. And so from this point on Mecca travels over 12 yards towards the sideline to create a window, especially away from this, uh, this, you know, shorter zone defender here. And, but the interesting thing is as he plants his foot, he gains about seven yards of separation from the defensive back here in cover three. Um, and he's open at that point, but he's creating a window by traveling another. So if you run it through a little bit longer, Jared, you'll see that as he clears that defender, CJ Stroud immediately identifies that window and throws it straight to the sideline. And yeah, it was only a five yard gain, but that was probably an incomplete pass otherwise. And so um, I was super impressed with that. Um, that foot plant at the top of his stem is actually really interesting because he actually plants with his inside foot before he pivots the inside, which is an interesting point because... If you stop it right there, yeah. So he plants with his inside foot to stop his momentum, which most receivers would actually do the other way. But I think this is coached into him on this play, actually, because what that does is because the uh, defensive back is playing inside leverage on Mecca, it forces the uh, the inside plant actually 
forces the defensive back to open his hips the wrong way. And so they're opening opposite directions where the defender is open, has his hips open towards the sideline and Mecca has it is reopening his hips to the inside, which creates a much bigger window for the quarterback than had it been the other way. Or if the inside leverage of the defensive back is also opening to the inside. Um, so that was the first play. Um, do uh, I need to define any terms, Jared? <laughs> listeners, uh, do you understand why uh, I, I consider this, one of, this guy one of the smartest guys I work with? Um, the only thing I would say, Barnabas, is um, for those who maybe don't understand, uh, like like um, like cover three terms like that, like just a quick rundown of what that might mean. Sure, uh, cover three is generally a full zone concept where you have uh, three deep safe deep. Uh, zone coverage with um, usually your corners and one safety playing your deep zones and then uh, the underneath coverage varies generally but generally you have three deep zones on that Um, and so the interesting thing is that oftentimes you know limits the bigger plays but um, leaves a little bit of weakness you know for example on the on the flats and stuff Um, which is why you have this uh, the overhang defender on indiana and this specific play is basically playing the flat because he knows that there's no running back leaking out that way and so he's he's taking a run lane away but um yeah and uh, oh i forgot to mention another thing is that you can see marvin harrison at the top of the screen um if you want to go through the full speed playthrough again uh jared um Marvin Harrison is not trying on this play. You can you can just tell he just kind of turns around and he he as soon as he plays sees the play go the other way he just stops moving altogether, um, which is like I said you know guys with that kind of pedigree and that kind of you know those physical gifts oftentimes just uh, it's smart obviously like he he doesn't need to run but like they're they're clear effort points where you're like where it's clear that you know some players would keep sprinting all the way across the field to hope you know get a backside uh pass maybe um which quarterbacks are told never to throw but you know th- some players will be open there uh albeit in a bad window area but yeah gotcha um nate do you have any uh thoughts on any of this no i, I love the uh the point that barnabas makes as far as with his plant foot and uh, being able to read kind of where the defender's hips are going um yeah i i was as watching that i was trying to see how, as we replayed it a few times, what the difference was between Mecca and Marvin Harrison, as far as, you know, how crisp their routes looked and, and that type of thing. And, and yeah, I don't know if it's that the Harrison just didn't give much effort or if it's just, he knows there's almost zero chance that I'm going to be a part of this play just based off of that, uh, uh, that defender coming in on his side. And, and it's going to force uh, CJ Stroud, whoever's the QB in this play is going to force him over to Mecca's side. And it's, it's a no, it's a total no go for Harrison. Alrighty, let's go to the next play here, Barnabas. I'll just go ahead and start playing it, and if you want, I'll replay it. But what's going on with this play? Yeah, so we have uh, Marvin Harrison at the top of the screen and uh, Mecca at the bottom of the screen. And basically, we have a hook route from uh, Marvin and a seam route um, off of inside leverage on Mecca. And the interesting thing that I want to point out here is, this is, once again, I think we're seeing cover three. Um, CJ Stroud is actually late on the throw um to marvin harrison which is what is which is why it's almost a pick um that one's not on marvin harrison but uh the thing i wanted to point out here is that uh mecca is really good at covering uh attacking leverage and that's something that uh i've been really watching with a couple uh accounts on social medias and stuff where they've been it's been uh people who train wide receivers like specifically as a positional group um like at a high school middle school even level um and they're always talking about okay how do i attack the leverage of the inside guy and this is such a skill that needs to be 
emphasize because even at the senior bowl, we're seeing guys that one, don't know how to release correctly. And two, uh, don't know how to attack that leverage, even if it's off coverage or, but especially in press, right. Cause the, you know, a lot of man coverage, uh, corner struggle at the senior bowl, um, that Mike and I, Mike Valerie and I went to recently where we saw in person, just these zone coverage corners do not do well in this situations because it's just one-on-ones. Um, but even in off coverage, we see Mecca attacking the leverage of the defensive back, right? So we have cover three, CJ Stroud's a little bit late on the throw to Marvin Harrison, but I want to uh, scrub, th- if you want to scrub through uh, and then I can try to tell you where to stop right about there. So there's actually a step where he takes to the inside leverage of the uh, defensive back where he's opening up those hips early so that the defensive back has to readjust his hips because he's still attacking the inside. It's a seam route, but he's making the defender second guess. It's not always opposite leverage, right? So a lot of times uh, receivers are told attack the opposite leverage of the defensive back so that you can get to the other side of where you want to go. In other words, uh, go pretend to go the way that defender doesn't want you to go so that you can go the way you want to go, um, which sounds convoluted. But in this case, the defender wants him to go the exact place that he wants to go as well. And so he actually creates this uh, double move almost out of a single step because he's attacking the inside foot on a defender that's basically bailing on him and bailing on him in cover three. And so... As that hip opens, he has all the leverage. And you can see that's a perfect stop right there, Jared, where he's boxed out and he has created a window because the receivers on the other side of the formation are actually uh, creating enough attention that the safety is rolling away from him. So if CJ could have held the, I mean, he, CJ Stroud was a little under pressure there, but if he had two more seconds, he has CJ, uh, a Mecca wide open on that play. Um, so the important thing is that Mecca's steps, he, he, he has a little bit of hip, hip wiggle in his route that frankly, I don't even see in um, JSN, which is a different conversation, but. <laughs> um, but you uh, see a lot of waddle in JSN, don't you? I do see a and lot not, of waddle. Yeah. Not Jalen waddle, but actually waddling. Yeah, he has the short, <laughs> JSN has the little short legs, but uh, you know, Mecca has these like interesting single step uh, leverage shifts that I, I noticed that, you know, I think receivers want to go to Ohio state because they want to work with Brian Hartline. And I think Brian Hartline is really trading his receivers to attack the leverage this way. Um, so we can probably go to the next play. Alrighty. Actually, uh, this is play 49. Um, we have Marvin Harrison jr. Can you back it up? Yeah. Yep. Perfect. Uh, Marvin Harrison is at the bottom of the screen. Number one receiver and Mecca is the number one receiver on the top of the screen. We're in uh, twins on either side. Um, and we're looking, I think at cover one, from the defense and so what we have is marvin harrison is running a fade against inside leverage he's just running trying to run past the guy um i think that he's probably not even really one of the major reads on this play um but he does they're playing three versus two on the bottom so uh you know it might be a a, a quick read on cj Stroud, but i don't think he's i don't think he's really looking at it what we have is mecca running a zone beater level concept on the left side uh this play ends up going to the tight end but the interesting thing here is that um he has a switch release off the top and uh mecca's running across the field and what that creates is because the tight end was so far behind he was able to stop and go the other direction which was created a window so mecca is creating this window by dragging all the defenders with him and so uh, from the top of the screen you see that he's off the line of scrimmage the tight end is on and so uh scrub play through it a little bit is this the half speed yeah this perfect. is half speed yeah yeah and so as we come across as stop right there 
So the tight end is, has already taken out the two defenders. And so one interesting thing is Mecca also reads the windows correctly. This is like something you usually see a little bit more with tight ends and such. Uh, I think I noted it about Payne Durham uh, when I was like, going over the senior bowl tapes. Um, is that he has a wide open window here, right? So CJ Stroud could throw the ball right here, and that's probably a easy, you know, seven yard gain. Um, if you play through another like one or two seconds here, you'll see that as the window closes, he he understands that that second window isn't there. Generally, you have a second window past stuff right there, um, past that li first linebacker. Um, there's a second window there, but because the second linebacker didn't move essentially to help out on the three versus two on the left side, because you have cover one. So the safety's rolling back that that second window isn't there. And so what happens is because that second window isn't there, he's still dragging the first linebacker with him on that drag route across. And so that creates a space for, uh, the tight end to pivot back the other way. And that creates the open space because the deeper defender on that side has to come up and do that. And so the interesting thing here is that with his window identification, he's basically decreasing the window and creating a window for the tight end because he can, he knows where to accelerate into the window. Um, I don't know if that made any sense, <laughs> but you guys can tell me if I'm not making sense anywhere. No, I, I, um, I, I, I think, I think it makes, makes a good amount of sense. I don't know about you, Nate. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, play. Can you play through this play a couple times, just yeah, in uh, in full? Yeah, regular regular speed. I got you. Yeah, that's fine. Because I'm trying to watch what this. Yeah, you can see the the safety just totally freaks out and comes off the tight end altogether because he thinks Mecca right here is going to be the guy. Look, look at that safety break. Yeah, it's a mm -hmm. really good job by C.J. Stroud too. I'm guessing that's who the quarterback is in this one. Of yeah. of being just a little bit more he could have hit mecca right there but he stayed patient waited for the second window it still wasn't on mecca and then he knew that i'm automatically going to this tight end because everybody's got their attention on Egbuka. absolutely and uh, i something i'm not sure about here is i don't know if that stop by the tight end to go back the other way was called because he actually stumbles out of there and so i'm not sure if it was just kind of like he was stopped anyway, and so he just kind of felt a window open on the other side. But the hey, important point happy is accidents. Like, yeah, but Mecca was dragging the safety down anyway, and so that was that was a great play by him. Um moving on to play 51, if if there are no other things. This is I think this is <laughs> just we, we talk all the time of like what would CJ Stroud look like if he didn't have the world's greatest wide receivers at his disposal at all times. And it's like this is this is why people say those things. It's like, okay, well, I mean, look at these, look at these two. You, I mean, we know what Marvin Harrison Jr. is capable of. And yeah, just the way that uh, Egbuka is able to basically draw two, sometimes three defenders attention Yep, and how much that can open up other windows. It's just, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens with the wide receiver room. If they continue to develop the way that they have at Ohio state with Brian Hartline now having the added responsibility of being the new play caller there at Ohio state, it's something he's never done before. And obviously he's incredible at recruiting and developing these wide receivers. So I'm wondering if any of that changes. I would say, I think if he has this intricate level of knowledge when it comes to like how, like how his receivers run their routes, you have to imagine that he has a pretty intricate knowledge of how to get his guys open with that kind of system. So we'll see how he does in the running game, but I think receivers are going to be fine with him. Uh, Barnabas, I'll go ahead and play through this next play right here. And then you go ahead and let us know what's going on. Yeah, I will say the interesting thing here, uh, just in general, Nate, to what you were saying is that 
you know, these are Indiana starters against uh, the backups on Ohio State's offense, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so it's not like his name value is what's dragging these safeties forward. It's their little nuance on the yeah. play that's creating this. And that's so, right. I forget this is this is Egbuka's true freshman. This is for his freshman season, right? Twenty one. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so it's not his name that's dragging that safety up, which is kind of interesting because we, if you want to argue, okay, what would CJ do without these uh, like crazy receivers? Like it kind of goes both ways where even his backups were this good, but also even when it's not, it's not the name of the receivers that's really causing it. It's this it's friction that, yeah. Yep. yeah, which, you know, that, that offense has been known to do, but uh, it, it is, it's interesting. Um, so this play we have, uh, I think this is play 51. We have Marvin Harrison at the top of the uh, screen, and we have uh, Mekabuka as the number two receiver on the bottom of the screen. We also have uh, the third That's receiver the on the right side. inside receiver on the right side for Mekabuka, correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so he's the number two. So he's the not the first person starting from the sideline. He's the second receiver. There's also a third receiver on that side. It's a tight end in the closer to the line of scrimmage, or, or to the offensive line, I should say. Um, and so what we're going to see here is... Um, the safety here is too far off to be covering that tight end man-to-man, which tells us that that overhang linebacker is covering that tight end in, as the number three on the right side. Um, and so we know that the dig isn't there because that, so Mecca's running a, I should, sorry, Mecca's running a dig. It's about 10 yards and in. Um, we know that's not there because the safety is playing a deeper zone here. We know that because he's just too far off. It can't be a one-on-one matchup and that slot corner, number two corner on that side is not even facing the line of scrimmage, which tells us he's not blitzing there. And so uh, Mecca is facing inside leverage against the dig, which means that you want to create space to the outside so that you can cut back inside, like conceptually on that route. Um, But we know it's not there. And so the the ball goes somewhere else, but um, the interesting thing is, so we also have split field coverage where it's three versus two on both sides. So we have two corners and a safety versus that two receivers on each side and then the uh, tight end is one-on-one um and so this actually ends up going to jsn which is on the uh, marvin harrison side of the field um but i really like the way he manipulates the safety to open up his hips to maybe even get somewhat of a chance here because one he needs to hold the safety on his side of the field uh mecca does and number two he needs to create some sort of window uh the window's probably not there the ball's probably not coming to him but he still needs to create some sort of window just in case for the quarterback to throw it in and so um if you scrub yeah so uh let it let it play on a half speed a little bit um so it's right about here right there you see that one step he creates that open step to, uh, if you see that safety in this frame right here on this pace pause frame, his left foot, this foot closest to the sideline is at back, right? He's opening up his hips to the wrong side to create even the smallest window for the quarterback to fit that dig in. Mecca already knows that ball is not coming to him because as you can see on the top of the screen in this exact, in this frame right here, JSN's wide open and this safety clicks way too late on this and so he is not going to be anywhere close to jsn so that's where the ball's going but we can see that mecca actually almost gets open on this when he's basically bracket coverage because of the way the the coverage played out here and that the fact that the number one receiver on the bottom of the screen did not move an inch in the entire play and so if you look yeah perfect right there that window is actually open like it's possible especially at the nfl level that that ball can be thrown um and so while the while that wasn't the easiest throw, he created an option for himself 
that not every receiver would do. And if you can see, Marvin Harrison Jr. is standing straight. The ball just came out of CJ Stroud's hand, and Marvin Harrison is standing still at the top of the route, which uh, they'll run the same concept a, a couple of clips later. But the interesting thing is, you know, I, I just saw a little bit of a lackadaisical effort at times from Marvin Harrison, which obviously we know what he can do, but that's when his number is called. Um, but I like the way Emeka is playing, even when he knows that ball's not coming to him. He's creating opportunities for himself. Yeah, and that definitely speaks to co- coaches see that kind of stuff, and that's the kind of thing that earns you future opportunities. Even if, like, obviously, Emeka is extremely talented, but if you're looking at a roster where you got a bunch of guys who, you know, they come in there, they're competing against some blue chip recruits, they're three stars, but if they're playing their hearts out every single rep they're putting out, that's going to earn them future opportunities. I think it's something that you could definitely look out for when you're evaluating other guys that maybe are in other wide receiver rooms. Uh, anything else you want to point out with this clip, Barnabas? Uh, I think I'm I'm good. Nate, did you have any thoughts or comments? No, no, we're good. All yeah, right. I mean, just uh, I would I do want to say uh, just in general, you, you can pull up the next clip and freeze it. Okay. Uh, but uh, Jared, I think that's a good point where like you know coaches do notice that effort. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you get guys like, uh, what was his name? Justin Hilliard was a linebacker for Ohio state. He was like mm-hmm. a fifth or sixth year guy injury riddled the entire time, but he was a leader on that defense. Um, and back with, I think just Justin Fields was probably still there. Um, but he was, he was a lot, he was played that overhang position a little bit, um, which, you know, sometimes put Baron Browning on the sideline, but, uh, he was out there because he, he, you know, gave full effort and was, was that high effort and leadership guy on that defense, even though, um, he was, he wasn't under-recruited. He was, he was rated, like, I think he was a three or four star linebacker coming in, but, uh, he, he, he got, he was the leader of that defense because he, you know, really grinded to his, uh, put his nose to the grindstone, right? So, as, as Matt um, Campbell used to say all the time with his Cyclones, you got three star players with five star hearts. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. It's kind of that Dan Campbell uh, mentality too, where you want guys that'll bite a kneecap off, right? So yes, sir. Um, all right, right. So this is play fifty four on the screen right now. This is uh, with Kyle McCord in at uh, quarterback. Um, we have Marvin Harrison at the bottom of the screen and uh, Mecca at the top of the screen, um, and the Marvin Harrison, this is where he shows off his ridiculous athleticism, right? Cause he makes a seven yard crosser look like a quick slant. It's just like he closes that gap. He's just so fast and he's quick out of his burst. He keeps his feet under him. He cuts out of it, which is all really amazing. For me, we're talking about grinding and uh, creating opportunities for yourself. Mecca knows that this ball is not coming to him in this play either. He has a, he has a drag route. That's kind of trying to pull, uh, manipulate defenders here, but he's, if you notice, um, so right before you play this, Jared, he immediately turns his head to look for who to block. And he knows that he needs to keep his route very shallow because he needs to hold that safety deep. And so the reason he's keeping it shallow is because if he goes deep, the safety is going to come down to meet him there. And so in order to keep that safety deep with the deep threat, he needs to keep that uh, route fairly shallow. And so we have a quick post-snap read here where the quarterback is reading uh, Marvin Harrison because the play action holds the linebackers right where they are. So Marvin Harrison being Marvin Harrison uh, is able to get behind them on basically the same timing as most receivers who have a quick slant. Uh, but I really like the way that um, Mecca really plays the nuance of this without with fully knowing that he doesn't get the ball here. So if you want to play full full speed here. Um, so he's at the top of the route. He's on the line of scrimmage. Um, and as he comes off, you you see that safety creep down. And so you know exactly that Marvin Harrison has one-on-one coverage, which means he's the hot route automatically. 
and he makes that crosser right there. But Emeka's already blocking by the time Marvin Harrison's catch, catching that ball. He's not in contact with anyone. He's obviously not drawing a penalty here, but he immediately was already creating angles for run after the catch, which I, you know, I noticed, I didn't really say run after the catch is one of the uh, criteria I was lo- really looking for here because I, it's really hard to project that long-term, but the important thing is he knew immediately one, what the play was and what he, and how he could execute it. But he was two doing the nuanced things that would create those extra one or two yards that coaches love. Right. And so, um, yeah. Can you play I, it? Can you play it a couple times, Jared? Yes, sir. So, oh wait, uh, here we go. This is it at full speed. So what are you looking for, Nate? No, I was just, I wanted to see it, see uh, it through a couple times. Gotcha, I gotcha. Just I so should I probably play it at full speed like two or three times before I go over to slow-mo. I think that that might work, and that'll give Barnabas time to kind of, oh, and got to replay it. There we go. Sorry. So if you notice that inside corner who's on the inside receiver there is basically held in conflict there because he has two receivers on him, but he's forced to take the inside receiver because he's close to the line of scrimmage. Um, and that creates that window where technically Mecca could be a read here, but because the safety came down, we already know that Marvin Harrison's the quick read on that. Um, and what do they, what do they always say, right? Throw right behind the blitz. And so that blitz was coming he, and they threw right behind it. Um, so it was like all, you know, fundamental comic court, obviously is ready to play apparently, um, already. And so he looks good in this game as well. But the interesting thing, yeah, is that because he keeps that route right behind that corner, the safety can't really, uh, commit to where he's going to go, which holds that safety for just a half second there. Um, and that other corner, he, Mecca's trying to get in the way of right away there. Um, so that half second creates probably one or two extra yards right there. Not a play design, but um, fortunately for Ohio State, the uh, the ref actually plays a little bit of a pick roll for uh, the middle linebacker that's trying to get out there in coverage for the safety that is that has come up in the blitz. If you watch from the beginning, watch this linebacker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he has he he basically has to work around the the referee, which then gives just enough time for that pass to get through right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, that is pretty funny. Good catch, Nate. Yeah, the um this uh the 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 way that Egbuka is able to transition from from route to block really quick was was kind of impressive there. All right. Yeah. Next I, I also think oh. Ryan Day calls those plays on purpose. I think he kind of knows where where that ref is gonna be. So I think that's that's definitely part of the calculus, I think, yeah. that uh Ohio State calls those plays on. Um, but yeah, I think we're on play 59, if, I believe. All right, we'll just uh, go ahead and start playing it. Yeah, Marvin Harrison gets the catch here. He's starting at the top of the screen. He has just a quick stop route. Uh, Mecca is also in the slot right next to Marvin Harrison. He runs this like seam fade against inside leverage. Um, and so there's this point where, uh, you know, when they when you teach in middle school and high school how to te- run a nine route um, to younger receivers, you teach them that they have to have a little bit of a hook at the end where you you kind of bounce a little bit to the outside to create a window for your quarterback to throw it. And you can't just be running straight. Um, and it's interesting the timing that Emeka does this on because he does it with about two yards of cushion left against the defensive back. And, uh, and so he does a really good job of planning off of that leverage read step where that, that defensive back was expecting to change, open his hips on that play, on that step. And so uh, right at that point, he's giving them a hard inside step 
which freezes that corner just a little bit. And so based on the coverage, it's probably cover three, although I'm not really sure why the corner bailed so hard. The one that's lined up across from Marvin Harrison, he bailed really hard on that, which I'm not really sure whether he thought that he was going to have to switch over and take Mecca on that which doesn't make sense because then the inside corner would have to come all the way out and cover Marvin Harrison on that. So that seems a little bit odd to me. Um, it was third and 12. So the safety was rolling to the left because he had to make sure Mecca wasn't going to get that ball. So the corner needed to play a little bit closer and actually protect the sticks there. That um, poor that poor corner had an oh crap moment. And I could I could feel it for him whenever he switched off of Egbuka and then he's like, oh crap, right now. Like, oh crap. Oh this God. Is, yeah. This is, I'm watching this that. is real Lord. bad. This is real bad. I'm beat for a touchdown if they throw it to Egbuka anyways. And now I'm about to give <laughs> up a, a 15 yard gain to my guy that I had no business being in this spot. Oh, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, that safety stays back. Uh, so Marvin Harrison was obviously the correct read here. Um, but my, my point is I love the way Mecca attacks this leverage here on that one little jab play where his left foot goes, it stays inside the frame, but he's forcing that defender to freeze for just a quick second where he can't snap his hips open because he knows where Mecca's going, but that step makes him think about it for half a second. And that that's what creates this little bit of space right there. Did you watch Um, any... Sorry, sorry to jump in, Barnabas, but I was curious. Did you watch any of Egbuka uh, tape coming out when he was in high school? I did not. I'm not a huge I, – I don't value too much recruiting. Okay. I'm just curious yeah. how, how much of this we might have been able to see um, before he even arrived at Ohio State, or um, are we looking at more development of these nuances while he's there, or if this is just something he's been doing um, for quite a while? Oh, you're you're asking whether it's a Mecca or whether it's Brian Hartline. Well, not not just <laughs> not just that, but I I am you know so I this is I watch a lot of high school tape. Um, I, I'm a physical therapist by trade, so I'm I'm looking at it from more of the movement patterns. What am I seeing from the hips? What am I seeing, um, with with footwork and that type of thing? But these what you're describing here goes far beyond what I look at with, with high school tape, because I, I don't know these nuances of, of what the play is calling for, how he's able to, uh, you know, kind of do his, do his thing with leverage here and be able to change the play this much. But yeah, I was just kind of curious. I wonder if he's been doing this for, for, you know, throughout his high school career and it just translated really well to college or if Heartline is kind of coaching up these guys to just a whole nother level. Absolutely. Hey, sorry. Yeah. It, no, you're good, Nate. That was a great question. I thought that was, that was, that was a good conversation right there. Uh, Barnabas, do you have anything else on this play? Uh, again, I got the scrubber here. Anything else you wanted to point out here that you hadn't already pointed out? Uh, no, I mean, it, the main thing was that you you notice Mecca even calls for the ball there because he knows he has that step on that uh, in that corner. So that was, yeah, that, I, I, yep, yeah. there it is. There's the hand. He could have, yeah, he could have tossed that over towards the pylon, and I think he, I think he would have got him. Yeah, but the, the play a, was yeah. the, the the throw was I mean he, he had 10 yards of separation uh Harrison did so absolutely the right call yeah yeah absolutely and I think a little bit of it is that Kyle McCord knows that Marvin Harrison's the bigger name so he's going to give it to the guy you know you can't be wrong with the coaches <laughs> when you're the backup in garbage time to throw it to the big name guy so plus it's his uh, uh it's his roommate right oh is that what it is too yeah that's probably weren't they they, I, they, they were high know. school teammates I think they're roommates Oh yeah. I don't know those kinds of relations, but that makes (laughs) sense too. Um, I'll, I'll try to 
go through the next one a little bit easier quicker this one's interesting so we have an angle of smash essentially where uh marvin harrison and mecca are lined up uh marvin harrison's on the outside of the bottom of the screen mecca's in the slot right there and they're running a combination route um Mecca actually runs this incorrectly, and McCord also throws it incorrectly, which makes me think that maybe the play is that, but that doesn't make sense. Um, this is a play that you know I call on Madden every single time because it's it's really good against uh, what happens in this zone because um, the inside receiver. So I, I should explain what the defense is doing here real quick. Um, this, we know the slot's blitzing here because there's no, he's just standing there pretending to cover nobody. Um, if you look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at that. Yeah, he is, nobody's there. Um, he's way too far inside to be covering anyone. So we know that it's basically man across here. Um, and we have 2v2 maybe on the tight end running back, but it doesn't really matter here. Uh, Marvin Harrison's running a quick stop route in order to hold the corner so that you can have a corner route behind him. Um, and so Mecca has this corner route. I think he turns the wrong direction. He turns the inside hip, which is a very small window when you're stacking up against this corner starts on like just like face leverage. But he Mecca cuts it so that he had the corners on his inside, but then Mecca also turns to the inside, which creates a very small window for the quarterback to throw. On the other hand, if he turns to the outside, it's a very wide open the quarterback just has to throw it to open grass towards the pylon. Um, and that's a wide open throw, but he noticed right there, he starts turning to his inside, which almost is run like a fade, but he's cutting hard enough that we know it's not a fade here. Um, and so he, he turns the wrong direction. It's a bad throw, but the interesting thing once again, is that he's attacking leverage where, um, he attacks the inside leverage and then breaks it off early because he realizes that it's not doing anything because the cushion's too big at that point. So, uh, back it up a little bit until, uh, he has this lever attacking leverage step that um, that that creates this place where the foot of the corner actually goes outside his frame, where which makes it you know you number one that means the corner has to turn open his hips, but also two it takes longer to accelerate out of that. And we always talk about how receivers can create separation in two different ways: attacking leverage, um, the way like Bill Belichick, for example, and Nick Saban have explained it is you want the receiver to step on the toes of the corner, and that way you're attacking those leverage and you can you can break out of it. Or two, you have to accelerate out of it, right? That's what someone like Josh Downs does really well, where he's just he's speeded coming out of it and, and he just accelerates quickly, which creates the separation. He's attacking the leverage here, but he realizes on this step right here where you have it actually freeze perfectly, where he's created it so that the corner has to step outside of his frame to make this cut um, and open his open his hips. And But he also breaks it off early because he realizes if he leaves it any longer, this is a timing route. And Devin, uh, sorry, this is still Kyle McCord. Sorry. Kyle McCord does, isn't going to have a window because uh, apparently the play is called to be thrown to the inside, which one seems like an odd play design to me, but two, um, he's understanding where where his play execution needs to come from and adjust his nuances uh, accordingly. So if you let it play through towards the end here, it's it's just a bad throw, frankly. And if he's if right there, if you if he's facing the pylon, that's a five yard window instead of the six inch window that he has on the inside there. Yeah, I'm so confused by this play because he turned like Buka turns to the inside. It makes it it really makes no sense. Yeah, and it I well so Kyle McCord also throws it to the inside, which tells me that that's just the play. It just seems odd. I don't yeah. know why that's the play. Um, but Brian yeah, the Harsline's calling plays. Stack so well. 
Right. The only the only way he's going to turn to the inside is if it, if it is a true fade. Right. I mean, like, right. why, why else would he turn to the inside on that? But he has his his horizontal distance right. from that cut is probably like six seven yards. So yeah. It's, yeah. All righty. I think we got one All last right. play here. This one's interesting because it comes from Jack Miller. Um, Barnabas, why don't you let us know what's going on with this final play? Yeah, so we have uh, Marvin Harrison all at the bottom of the screen, and Mecca is in the slot on the top of the screen. Um, Marvin Harrison's just running a deep sideline route. Um, he's supposed to hold the safety um, because what we have is too high coverage here from the defense. And so, you know, anyone who's played Madden ever, you, as soon as you see those two high corner, uh, two high safeties, you're running a post route, a corner route, right? You run some sort of diagonal route. Excuse me, that will attack <clears throat> the way the safe, you know, too high safety looks. Um. I think this is cover five, which is cover two on the back end. You have two safeties uh, holding the deep and then man underneath. Um, and we actually have a pretty good pass off by the linebackers on the short route right in front of um, Mecca when the lineback, the tight end, the running back cross. Um, Just real quick so for the had, people watching, uh, where are Mecca? Where's Mecca located again? I don't know if you mentioned. Uh, I, I did, but uh, Marvin Harrison's all the way at the bottom of the screen uh, by himself on an island, and Mar uh, Mecca is in the slot at the top of the screen. Okay. Um, but it's like a kind of they're they're on the right hash, and so it's not a not big space spacing there. Um, he's off the line of scrimmage, um, and so Mecca has a post here where he's attacking the two high, and he has good run after catch. But like I said, I don't I, don't, I could probably care less about run after catch because it's just not a projectable trade really. Um, in my opinion, and um, he boxes out the corner super well here, where as soon as he feels that outside leverage and that corner is on his outside hip, he he's able to create that window while maintaining the angle correctly so that the safety can't undercut it. Um, and so he stumbles a little bit outside of the cut because he sells a little bit too hard on his outside foot, which, like I said, he's attacking leverage every single play, every single route he runs. And so he attacks a little bit too hard here, so he stumbles a little bit coming out. Um, but he he's still able to keep his feet fairly within his frame and so that he's he's able to recover pretty quickly out of that break. And uh, if Marvin Harrison sells that route a little bit better, maybe a little bit deeper or a little bit closer to the starts a little bit closer to the inside, he can probably hold that safety and that that play probably goes for a couple more yards. Um, you see right there, he's standing completely still when by the time Mecca catches that ball. Um, so, you know. Once again, physical gifts apparently mean you can I'm, give a little bit more lackadaisical effort, but uh I'm picking up a vibe you're you're putting out here on on Marvin's kid. I I'm just saying for the this game that I saw <laughs> I, when he wasn't getting the ball, he wasn't really running very hard. That's all I'm saying. Um I have no I have no he's not draft eligible yet, so he's not within my realm of uh required expertise, but uh, <laughs> um but yeah, the, once again, he's attacking outside leverage. As soon as that leverage is established on his rights on his outside, um, obviously the corner is playing outside leverage because he knows he has safety help in the inside, right? And so as soon as he feels that he has the correct leverage against the corner, he makes that cut super hard. And like it's it's and part of it is also that he cuts on his inside foot here. You, you can see on another frame. Um so, but that once that outside foot slips a little bit, it's still within frame that he can put it down fast enough that he's not falling on his face coming out of that crosser. And so, um, once again, I I was really impressed with the nuance of like attacking that leverage where he's letting the corner take the outside leverage because he knows that he's going to walk into open grass here. And on this frame, you can see if that safety is on the outside of that hash, literally just one or two yards to, to his right, 
that window is wide open um, for Mecca, but because the safety is, you know, cheating inside a little bit there, he has a little bit of space. Um, Mecca takes this for another like five or 10 yards after the catch, which is impressive, but it was kind of like a, uh, against the grain type of run because one person missed a tackle. But um, that leverage attack right there where he has three defenders right there, yeah, um, on him. And once what he spins out of that essentially, but that point right there is the most impressive because that window um, was almost solely created because he was able to undercut that safety and it was a much flatter post route than you would expect against a too high look. I know you're not super you know swayed by what the after can you play it a couple times here jared i know yep, that gotcha what he does after the catch isn't like a big factor for you but his contact balance here as he gets it catches the ball gets hit on the hip backs him up about two yards and doesn't even i mean doesn't slow him down really at all I, as soon as soon as he's hit most guys are one they're going down right here or they're at least losing their balance enough to where that uh, linebacker coming up from behind him is able to track him down, but he's able to accelerate out of taking that bump on the right hip and then plant and go pretty quick here. And see how that linebacker has a tough time catching up to him, and he's he's reaching for grass at that point. I, I thought I thought it was pretty impressive after after the catch as well too. The nuances yeah, before the catch, on, I I I would have totally missed that. Yeah, well, I will say the reason he's able to bounce out of that is because a lot of receivers at that point are striding so hard to gain speed on that, that their their feet are outside their frame at that point, right? Yeah. So they, they can't catch themselves anymore. But he, because he's under running underneath himself, right. he's able to just bounce out of that um, much easier. And so I don't know how well he's going to test. I don't know how fast he is. Uh, I'm sure someone at C2C has a miles per hour marker on him at some point. But uh, I don't know that he's, you know, a speed freak. But he 21.3. I, is that I'm totally making that up. I have no clue oh, how fast you are. Nate, I was sitting over here like, what the <laughs> Nate, just popping things off over here. But yeah, I, I, I think he's fast enough. And like my most impressive takeaway here is he understands leverage better than a lot of receivers, maybe even in this rookie NFL rookie class coming up in 2023. All righty. Well, we're getting towards the end of the show here. Barnabas, again, a lot of information thrown our way here in the last about 40 minutes in terms of how to analyze film and everything. If you could just in the next two minutes kind of touch on what are the most important things like you're, you are talking to somebody who's never really watched film before and you want to give them like the basic rundown of the things to look for. What are those things? Uh, sure. So every, every position has its nuances, but I think the most important thing is just break down every single step. I spend probably close to five, 10 minutes on every play that I watch essentially, um, when I'm watching more than one player, especially, but you know, when you're watching tape, it has, you have to wear out that fast forward and rewind button scrub buttons. Like, um, otherwise you're just missing, missing the whole point. I think, uh, a lot of people miss that you have to watch the big picture as well. You have to understand what everyone else is doing to understand why a single player's actions make sense. Um, and you know, so I got these clips off of, uh, coach Vass's, but you know, just watching as much tape as you can is going to get you to be good at watching tape, frankly. Um, and so I, you know, and the other thing is understanding, like schemes and stuff, you know, I'm working every day to, you know, learn a little bit more. Uh, I I mentioned a couple of times on a couple of different shows here and there that like, I'm really working on understanding how to evaluate these cover three corners. Cause you know, for example, like Keely Ringo uh, tested very poorly at the combine recently. Right. And, uh, but 
you know, and during drills as well, he looked, you know, stiff. And that's because he was never really asked to be in a, in a crouch to really backpedal for any extended period of time. Cause he was doing that side saddle thing that Georgia and now uh, Oregon does a lot as well. And so, um, you know, there, there are certain aspects of different schemes and such that make players have certain, that are good for certain players with certain strengths and weaknesses and who lend themselves to having certain players develop certain strengths as well. And so um, big picture and small picture, and probably pretty much everything in between which i guess is sort of unhelpful advice but yeah <laughs> no i think it is helpful uh, advice I, I don't, yeah no i think a lot of people might focus on one over the other and never really think about how both of them are interacting within one another so i think no i think that's great advice all righty yeah gentlemen excellent excellent show we're gonna finish up here real quick uh with nate uh, you ha- continue to put out the awesome coaching change articles. And like Barnabas was just talking about, understanding schemes, especially at the college level, is definitely a huge part of a lot of this. But Nate, what all can we continue to look for with those coaching change articles coming out in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, so the Conference USA coaching art, uh, coaching change uh, just came out today, which is, which is Saturday. So be uh, looking for that. You can find that one on campuscan.com. Uh, I will have the Sun Belt coming out next. That one is pretty much wrapped up, and uh, that one will come out next, which has a couple of really fun new offensive coordinators there in the Sun Belt. So uh, the SEC amazingly had an insane amount of offensive coordinator turnover this year. So that one I am still plugging along. Um, I will continue to, to hammer away on that as I watch the March Madness this weekend. And uh, hopefully in the next uh, two weeks, I'll, I'll wrap it up with that one and uh, some of the independents as well. All righty. Barnabas, you are our NFL an- NFL draft analyst over here at Campus Again. Obviously, the NFL draft is coming up in the next month. What kind of stuff are you preparing for anybody who might be interested in stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, right now I'm just grinding tape. Uh, you can expect my analysis probably closer to draft time, maybe afterwards. I'll probably um, be doing the same article series I did last year, which was my debut with Campus to Can, actually, which was the Forget Me Not series, where yes, I sir. go over some day three ca- draft capital guys. Um, some of those guys actually went way earlier than I expected, so I got to re- revisit that evaluation some uh, process. But um yeah, you can expect that from me, and uh, you can expect miscellaneous thoughts from me on Campus to Canton. And, you know, uh, I'm on, I have a segment on Debbie Debate every week. Um, so you can catch me there. Yeah, too. it's really good. I like it whenever <laughs> you hop in. I love the the Tony Reale, uh, you know, experiment and and being able to correct some of these guys because, you know, Felix is always saying silly things and needs to of be course. corrected all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys can follow again. Barnabas literally. I feel like there, it's inevitable when you get your own show because, again, like you you do such an amazing job explaining everything, breaking everything down. If you want to learn more from Barnabas, check out his Twitter at PKJBLEE uh, or at PKJBLEE on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him there as well. Criminally, criminally underrated stuff. And, again, like he had a ton of great stuff in the Senior Bowl when he and uh, Mike Valerie went down there tons and tons of great stuff and of course you can always follow nate as well so you can get those up-to-date changes with those coaching articles in terms of us over here at at 
the CFF team over here at Campus of Canton. Uh, we got our ranking summits coming up in the next couple of weeks. There's going to be four of us on there. We're going to be debating all of our rankings, which are now fully available on the Campus of Canton website. So if you are looking for your CFF rankings for this next upcoming year, go check those out right over there. With that being said, gentlemen, the show has been awesome. Really appreciate you guys coming on. Really appreciate all of you guys listening out there and hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed day. See y'all.